Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The pandemic and the economic uncertainty it caused have put new focus on the issue of wages, how much people make and how in our country. A case at the Michigan Supreme Court will take a look at wages and specifically wages for tipped workers. And we're going to spend today talking about that issue with advocates for better pay and with business owners who worry about costs. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Before we start today, I just want to take a moment to note the air and the air quality here in Southeast Michigan and in Detroit. There are these incredible wildfires burning in Canada, and that's causing smoke and haze to waft over the border into lots of places in the United States. But of course, because we're so close to Canada, it looks different here than it does in other places. I've never seen a morning like I did today in Detroit where it looks like there's a pall of fog over the whole city, but really it's smoke and haze. And because we've been so irresponsible with the heat that uh, that's generated by industrial work in our country and all over the world, it's really creating dangerous conditions for people. There isn't much to do about it right now. Uh, there, there are certainly things we should be doing to take better care of the climate, and we probably will be talking about those things pretty soon here on Detroit Today as this goes on. But I want to tell everybody right now, the thing that we can do is check on the people in our lives right now. There are so many people who are not going to be able to stay indoors today because their work makes them go outside or their care for somebody else takes them outside. We need to be checking on those folks, making sure they're okay. Just a little bit of time outside right now can leave you coughing and wheezing and sputtering. Uh, this is the time when we really do need to indulge that idea that we can take responsibility for each other, and we should. So check on the people you know who are outside today, either working outside or traveling outside, and make sure that, uh, that they're not terribly affected by all of this. Okay, I want to start the show today with two hypothetical quotes. The first is, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to eat out. The second quote is, if you can't afford to pay your workers a decent or living wage, you shouldn't own a business. Those two statements really stand in opposite corners, don't they? On one side, there's this supposition that eating in a restaurant or engaging in some other kinds of services means you should not only pay the formal bill, 
you should also spend a little more to take care of the person who's providing that service. But on the other side, there's the idea that business owners are responsible for what people make. And they shouldn't be relying on their customers to add to that just to make sure their employees make decent wages. Tipping, it's an issue for both customers and workers and also for business owners. And it is taking center stage in a case that is coming before the Michigan Supreme Court. Throughout the United States and here in Michigan, of course, many communities take for granted that customers and consumers are expected to tip service workers and especially wait staff at restaurants. But if you go overseas in several countries, tipping is seen as merely a bonus and not an expectation. And even here in Detroit, Michigan, you will find people who agree with that idea. People who get up from the table and walk out and don't leave any money behind. But it is the expectation in Michigan and the U.S. generally when it comes to wages. Historically in Michigan, restaurants are allowed to pay tipped workers salaries that are lower than the minimum wage. They can do this because the tips are considered taxable income. But should that be the way it works? Many workers in Michigan are pushing now for the same equal minimum wage for all employees in the state. They argue that employers shouldn't be allowed to pay workers less because tips are not reliable income. For them, the whims of a customer on a given day shouldn't impact whether or not you're able to pay your rent, for instance. But a lot of employers and business owners argue that this change would really hurt their industries, especially restaurants, that already operate on really thin margins. For them, raising the minimum wage for tipped workers means higher prices for customers, less hours for workers, and potentially closing businesses. So who's right? And how do we make sure that people who work and work really hard for a living, make a living that they can live on. The Michigan Supreme Court is set to consider a case that may really impact the wages of tipped workers in the future. And later in the show, we're going to hear from the plaintiffs in that case, as well as a representative for restaurants, to get their perspectives on whether or not raising the minimum wage for tipped workers is something we should be doing here in Michigan. But before that, I'm joined by Nick Austin, who is a producer here on Detroit Today and a host of Soul Saturdays here on WDET. He is a lawyer and somebody who's been and paying attention to this Michigan Supreme Court case. Nick, welcome to the studio. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. So, uh, which side of that uh, equation do you come down on? I'll see. First of now, all? see, I didn't. <laughs> are you a tipper or are I, you someone who says, look, <laughs> the employer ought to take care I of it? I was literally trying to make sure I didn't have to answer that question because <laughs> I want to seem impartial. Uh, we could discuss that maybe a little bit later, but yeah. it is an interesting case that's coming up before the Supreme Court because what happened here in this matter, and it's something I've been following, is that in 2018, there was a ballot initiative that would affect tipped workers. You know, here in the state, tipped workers receive less than $4 an hour because uh, they receive those tips. And the minimum wage in the state, it's a little, it's $11, 11.73 right now. And so that'd be a significant change. Mm-hmm. So in 2018, uh, what they did, uh, people who were trying to raise that minimum wage and do other things for uh, tipped workers and uh, the minimum wage uh, for workers in the state generally, was they made a ballot initiative. They said, we're going to bring it directly to the voters because we don't think the then Republican state legislature and governor are going to adopt it. 
what the the legislature did instead was in Michigan, a ballot initiative gets on the ballot if it has enough uh, signatures, they can either adopt it, they can reject it, and then it goes on the ballot, or they can amend it, and then both proposals will go on the ballot. Now, if it goes to the ballot and the people vote for it, then it would take a three-quarters majority in both the House and the Senate to override it. So what the legislature did then, lame duck session, Republicans outgoing, they know Democrats are coming in, they adopted it, and then they changed it a little bit later and watered it way down. And so now we've had cases pending in the courts dealing with that situation. And uh, what is the, what is, I guess, the, the, the posture of the case right now? What happened yeah. in the courts that brings it to the Michigan Supreme Court? So in the court of claims, basically the trial court for this matter, uh, that trial court said this looks a little bit fishy. They ruled in favor of the plaintiffs, the people who were trying to increase that minimum wage. At the trial court level, the judge said you can't use this adopt the minute strategy. It gets around the will of the voters, right? It's a way for any legislature, because this is the first time it happened here, to basically subvert the will of the people. Then, however, it was appealed, of course, and uh, recently, actually in January, the Court of Appeals, three-panel Court of Appeals said, listen, regardless of whether we agree or disagree with the sentiment of this law, um, the leg- the the rules stand as they are. There's nothing that prevents the legislature and the governor from adopting a bill and then deciding to change it. Because once it's adopted, it's within the purview of the legislature, and they can do with it as they would with any other law. Yeah. As with most cases at the Supreme Court, there is a legal technicality, something that is either constitutional or legislative that the justices are actually deciding. They actually are not deciding on the issue per se. But let's talk about what they do and what effect it would have on this issue. If the plaintiffs are successful in this case, what what would happen? Well, if the plaintiffs are successful in this case, we would expect that the Supreme Court would uh, immediately adopt the change. So that would mean a significant increase. We're talking about that $8 raise that would happen immediately because the way it was written, it was tiered to happen over time a little bit. But 2022 was when basically waged workers and tipped workers were supposed to be receiving the same amount of money. So unless the Supreme Court were to somehow tier that, and that's normally not in the court's purview, right, because they decide issues of law. They don't make legislation, then it would go into effect immediately. And that does have a lot of businesses concerned about what we would do with such a sudden shift that would be adopted. It would be pretty expensive for for restaurant owners. So what would happen if the justices rule against the plaintiffs? If the justices rule against the plaintiffs, the Court of Appeals order would uh, continue. And that basically is saying what the law, as it was enacted by the state legislature in 2018, will carry forward. So they watered it down. There are tiered changes that will happen over time, but we're not looking until significant changes until 2030, which is probably a significant year, right? Because that's when we would have uh, more redistricting. Potentially, it's possible that there might be some gerrymandering, although we do have the Citizens Council. Mm -hmm. But you would have to expect that a Republican legislature thought that might be when they had another opportunity to make some changes. Is there any prognostication going on about what the justices might do? Are there other cases that suggest what the, what what their read of this might might be. Well, we have a we have a new panel, and you know, for some people that they would think, well, look, the the Supreme Court right now in the state, they would say it's six three liberal or something. So they would think, six Democrats, that, yeah, right. six Democrats. That would go towards the uh, the position of 
uh, of the tipped workers. However, I like to classify these kind of cases of like spirit of the law versus letter of the law. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why this is in front of the Supreme Court. You have what's written in the text. And, you know, like the Court of Appeals says, a lot of lawyers will tell you that is literally what's there. Nothing that the 2018 legislature did is outside the letter of the law. But if you look back at why the law was adopted in the first place, it's because way back, we're talking like a century ago, Michiganders were feeling like uh, legislatures would make uh, big promises to get elected and then they just wouldn't do anything. So they adopted this proposal to allow people through the Constitution, allow the people to get things on the ballot if they felt the legislators weren't doing it. So the spirit of the law would seem then that the goal is to put into effect what the people want, not for the people to bring something forward and then for it to be changed. So it's whether you're going to read into the spirit of the the law or whether you're going to read in and say, look, we are a system of laws. We have to adopt what is written in the text. All right, Nick Austin, producer here on Detroit Today and host of Soul Saturday on WDET. Really great to have you and your legal expertise in the studio. It felt good reading some cases again, Stephen. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to ask you one more time, what side do you come down on, Nick? Do I have to Are say it, Stephen? I, 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 I'm happy saying what I do. All right, social pressure makes me tip, but I really think it's kind of silly. I mm-hmm. mean, like, pay people what they, well, I don't understand why there's a separate wage for I, different people. I, I'm I'm a, a lifelong tipper and and I always adhere to the, you know, the standard, the 15% or or sure. more. I kicked that up to 20 to 30% you just make, you during just, the pandemic because yeah. those were the folks who were really on the front lines of making sure that our lives could go on and I feel like mm, uh, they, they should get some some sort of compensation. Your that. goal was literally just to ruin my reputation. <laughs> I appreciate you in a that, bad Stephen. Light? <laughs> uh, sorry for that, man. I do appreciate you coming <laughs> in the studio, Steven. though. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we come back. We're going to hear from supporters of the minimum wage increase and learn why they think it's a good idea for Michigan. A little later, we will hear from a representative of the restaurant industry about why they're concerned about increased costs. We also want to get going with you, the listeners on the phones. What do you make of minimum wage laws? Do you think they should increase and should they increase for tipped workers? What do you think that would do for the workers? What do you think it would do to the businesses that employ those workers? Which side of that issue do you come down on? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. We've been talking about the Michigan Supreme Court case that may soon have a real impact on minimum wage laws here in Michigan. But right now, I want to bring in a couple of different perspectives 
to that conversation. Danielle Atkinson is the founding director of Mothering Justice, which advocates for mothers of color to influence policy on behalf of themselves and their families. They are one of the plaintiffs in the state Supreme Court case that is being heard. Uh, Danielle, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. Also with us is Sarah Coffey. She is the Michigan campaign manager for One Fair Wage, which is a nonprofit that is attempting to end the sub-minimum wages for tipped workers. Sarah, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me on. So, uh, Danielle, I'm going to start with you. Uh, What was your reaction when in 2018, after the minimum wage law was implemented after it was passed on the ballot, that the then Republican-controlled legislature watered down that language from the ballot initiative. It's a, it's, I mean, it's one of those things that, that we see uh, the state legislature do a lot, which is to use procedure to kind mm-hmm. of thwart the will of the people. Uh, but, but in this case, it was personal for you and uh, your organization. Yeah, so... Oh, so the original question, what was what was I feeling? What was my emotion? Um, you know, we predicted something, right? And so there are two parts of this. There's minimum wage and there's earned sick time. And this was like a comma in a large a long story, right? We started this journey in 2012 when we started the Mama's Agenda, which was a list of policy priorities that moms in Michigan talked about when we asked the question. What is impacting your financial stability? What's keeping you up at night? What's preventing you from making ends meet? And minimum wage and earned sick time was at the top of their list, along with childcare, right? How can I make ends meet? How can I continue to give my best at home and at work when these two things are at odds? And so we've been on this journey for a really long time. And when the legislature pulled the tricks that they did, to subvert the will of the people, um, we just sighed and said, okay, we fight another day. Yeah. Time to go to court. Right? Time to go to court. Yeah. So I want to have you talk just a little bit about why it would be such a big deal to increase the minimum wage and especially for tipped waged workers. Uh, what, what, what is the current landscape look like for people who find themselves in those jobs? Yeah, and I'll definitely let Sarah talk to the experience of um, restaurant workers and uh, people that are trying to make ends meet uh, with what they're getting paid. But, you know, a bigger, if we take the lens back, we are just, you mentioned the pandemic, you mentioned the air quality today. Mm-hmm. We're talking about people that are working double shifts, working multiple jobs just to figure out how they can make enough money so they can care for the people that depend on them, including themselves. Mm -hmm. And so when you're making a wage that is in flux because you don't know how much you're getting tipped or you get the alert that your child is having an asthma attack because the air quality is bad and you have to debate and and use a calculator to figure out whether or not you can miss a day's pay to take care of your sick kid, this is crisis, right? Yeah. And since this past, we've had a pandemic. 
We've had, you know, we've had real trouble with um, employees being able to um, to stay in jobs because they just didn't know whether or not it would meet the it would meet the needs that they have outside of a paycheck. Um, and it's time to really address that. And at the heart of the question, which I'm sure you're going to talk to, and and I'll pass it to Sarah right now, is democracy. Hmm. Yeah. And when we are fed up and we go to other systems to change the law and then the rug is pulled from underneath us yeah. by people playing tricks it's it's just another crisis on top of the existing crisis yeah yeah and sarah as danielle points out this is about people's lives not just their livelihoods it's a, it's about being able to do the things that all of us expect to be able to do to take care of ourselves and our families yeah, that's right. And I, I think that's actually um, something that there is bipartisan support for. You know, in 2019, we were pulling at 75% approval rating to raise the minimum wage to $12 and to end the, the, the sub-minimum wage for tipped workers. And that is because most people, most reasonable people agree that if you work for a living, you should make a living wage. You should be able to afford a one-bedroom apartment, which is not possible in 90% of the country uh, of the cities in this country if you make the, the minimum wage yeah. or the tipped sub-minimum wage. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell us about the impact this would have on these workers if we did raise the, 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 the minimum wage, but then try to address a little of the business side as well. We're going to talk with a representative of the restaurant industry a little later. I expect that they're going to say, look, we can't afford to do this, that the businesses, in some cases, might not even be able to stay open if you were to make this change. Uh, how do you balance those two concerns? Sure. And if you don't mind, I'll start with the business concern sure. and work my way back. Yeah. Um, I think that we can look at the entire West Coast plus Alaska, Nevada, Minnesota, and Montana, who all pay one fair wage, and they have thriving restaurant industries. Uh, they have fared as well or better as any other state that pays the subminimum tipped wage. And before the pandemic, uh, California, I think, registered a record $92 billion in restaurant sales, and had an 18% growth in small restaurants. And so I think the facts just don't bear out. I think that's misinformation from a large restaurant lobby uh, that has a vested interest going back to the history of emancipation. I don't know if you know the history of the tipped wage. Sure, we should talk about that. Yeah, it yeah. is directly a legacy of slavery. Yes. When the minimum wage was set at, at, in 1938, it was set at $0 for tipped workers who were primarily black women. Mm -hmm. And that is because of what time it is on the clock of the world. You know, we are dealing with issues of the legacy of slavery in the United States. Uh, and it's primarily women who are affected, you know, so th that's why it's really important. And I don't think we would be here today without mothering justice and the leadership of black women, uh, and that we are going to owe Mothering Justice, you know, and all of the organizations that have supported this fight, mm -hmm. um, like the Restaurant Opportunities Center, uh, One Fair Wage. There are like so many organizations that have just put blood, sweat and tears in to make this happen. And I think that is because people are 
teetering on the brink, you know, and so that brings it to why this is the exact right time to raise these wages. Yeah. You know, while billionaires are doubling and tripling their wealth, there are people who are having to go to the food bank to have enough food to feed their children and they are working full time. Right. I mean, and that is one of the things that I find myself in argument with people about all the time. They talk about people who are struggling to make ends meet as though they're not working, as though they're not part of uh, the, the the waged economy. And, uh, you know, the, the, the truth is that uh, it's just really hard for an increasing number of people who have jobs, who work either full time at one job or work two or three jobs mm-hmm. to make ends meet that you just don't you don't have enough. You don't have enough at the end of the day. Yeah, and we are having this conversation, right? The governor just uh, set up a commission around growing the population of Michigan. We can grow it two ways, right? Well, three ways. We can have people move here, have people stay here, and have people have babies. No one's having a baby if they can't make ends meet. This is the conversation we're having every day with moms and dads and caregivers about, like, how do I do it? I just, I, I want to grow my family, but how do I do it when I can't make enough money to provide for them? And then when you're talking about people um, wanting to make a good wage in this in this area and have disposable income, we need people to have disposable income. That's what one of our coalition partners was someone who um, owns... Um, owns a gas, I'm sorry, owns a car wash. And he's like, no one's having a car wash when they don't have disposable income. We need more people to have car washes, right? We need more people uh, to to have a little bit more in their pocket and grow the economy by spending it. Um, And and we know that supply and demand relies solely on the middle class, working class folks having some money. Um, And so that's what this conversation really is about. What kind of state do we want to be? What kind of environment do we want to be for the people that um, grow our um, that grow our economy and take care of each other? Yeah, the, the people we need and want to be to be Michiganders. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about wages and tipped wages in particular here. Uh, talking specifically about a Supreme Court case that could be decided in a way that has a real impact on a change to uh, minimum wage here in the state of Michigan, and especially for tip workers. Uh, we would want to hear from you, uh, the listeners as well, during this conversation. Give us a call. Let us know what your experience has been with uh, tipping and wages. What do you make of the current minimum wage loss that we have here in Michigan? Do you think they're fair? Do you think they should be increased? And how would you do that? Would you do that for all workers? Or would you do that for workers except those who get tips as part of their work as well? Uh, What about business owners? Uh, What should they be doing to make sure that people make living wages? And uh, what effect would it have on them if we did have an increase in the minimum wage so that they had to pay people more? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Big Neo says on Twitter, tipping is a culture issue. In some cultures, a tip is an insult to the business. If we want to change the way servers get paid, changing the culture is part of it. For me, I'm for all workers receiving a living wage for their labor 
regardless of the industry. Uh, I'm going to go to the phones here and start today with Allison in Detroit. Allison, welcome to the show. You there, Allison? Okay, Allison, call us back. Uh, let's go next to Dan in Hazel Park. Dan, what's on your mind? Hi, Stephen. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh-huh. Um, I used to work uh, in the restaurant industry as a server. And for any uh, busy restaurant, I would much rather receive the current structure and just have my employer impose a 20% gratuity, which I've seen a few of the restaurants local to me mm-hmm. uh, do. And I think that you would actually make more hourly uh, in total with a 20% gratuity and not have to worry about anything else. If uh, tipping is an issue for some people and they already don't, the minimum wage being increased is not a livable wage to begin with. Right, right. You know, Dan, that's a really great that's a really great point. I've been to places that add a twenty percent gratuity, and then they also give you, of course, the chance to to increase that. and And I would encourage people to do that, especially. Uh, right now, given the things that are going on with the wage gap and things, I mean, uh, adding to that is, is I think, the right thing to do. I want to get our guests to respond, though, to your idea of that as, of that as, a, as an alternative to a raise in the minimum wage. Sarah, what do you think? Yeah, I really appreciate Dan's comments. And uh, I think I'd like to dispel a, a piece of misinformation that's out there. Um, which is that if the minimum wage goes up, that tips will go away. Right. That, that is a piece of patent misinformation that's being used to scare workers to vote against their own interests. So if you make a living wage and get a 20% gratuity on top of that, that is more money in your pockets. And also I'd like to point out that in states that pay one fair wage, sexual harassment, which is the highest of any industry, the restaurant industry has the highest level of sex or sexual ha- d- double most industries. Mm-hmm. Sexual harassment goes down by 50% in states that have one fair wage because people don't have to put up with that behavior if they don't have to depend on tips to pay their electrical bill, to make sure their kids eat, to pay the rent. Yeah, they can they can walk away from a bad situation and not not worry about being put out of their house at the at the same time. Yeah, yeah and I think what Dan the the thing that I took from what he what his comments uh, his comments were reliability, right? And having that twenty percent added on gives you reliability. Unfortunately, all tip jobs and shifts are not created equal. Mm-hmm. So we have folks that are working overnight. We have folks that are getting tipped because somebody else gets tipped and you're taking away the reliability. So that proposal doesn't necessarily help with that or the sexual harassment. But the underlying principle is that people should know that they're going to make a living wage when they leave the job. They should know that I'm going to put in my hard work, I'm going to serve these folks, and I'm going to walk away with enough to pay my bills. And unfortunately, we don't have that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Dan, really appreciate the call and the provocative comments. Let's go next to Allison in Detroit. Allison, you're back. What's on your mind? Hello? Hey, Allison. Hi. Hi. Um, so uh, my name is Allison. I am the owner of Coriander Kitchen and Farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm calling in just to kind of point out the fact that like for restaurant owners, there's 
most many, many restaurant owners, especially in the city of Detroit, have been struggling on their own to try to figure out a way to pay their employees uh, an improved wage. And part of the issue with um, people trying to do anything out of the box is when people are able to pay under subminimum wage, um, anybody trying to pay above that, um, there's going to be a really intense sticker shock um, on on their menu items for people coming to dine, and it's not something that's really possible. Um, I'm not um, in favor or opposed to um, the raising of the tipping wage because as a as a restaurant owner, I'm doing everything I can to pay people as much as I possibly can, um, and nobody in my shop um, makes minimum you know makes minimum wage. Everyone makes far over minimum wage. Um, and, and that's something that's really hard to do. Um, and it's something that restaurant owners, many are super committed to. Uh, but there's a lot of places that aren't. And a lot of those places are chains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of those places are giant corporations. A lot of those places are people who actually have the margins to make change. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Allison, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you, you say that you're paying your workers way more than minimum wage. There are restaurant owners who talk about not being able to, to do that and keep uh, their margins where they should be or keep things open. So well, tell me, me, tell me what's yeah. different for you. Why, clarify, why does that work? Let me clarify. Let me clarify. I am paying um, sub minimum wage to servers, to bartenders. We're paying above what the, um, what the minimum wage for those roles are, which are extremely low. So we pay more than what is um, demanded, mm-hmm. but it is still under minimum wage. But we assure all of our staff that no matter what tips end up being, um, that we will assure them $15 an hour. If my staff is only making $15 an hour, I'm not happy with that either. That's not, yeah. <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for. Looking around, anyone making, you know, if you have any sort of expenses in your life, if you're making less than $25 an hour, I don't really know how you're surviving. Sure, sure. Um, and so the issue is, is like, so we, we started off by trying to pay everyone above um, minimum wage. So we paid everyone $15 an hour or more. And then we had a split sh- um, tip share across the entire house. You can only share tips if everyone is paid over minimum wage. Mm. Um, and that was a way to increase back of house wages. Right. Um, right. And, but um, it didn't allow us to provide the service model that customers demanded and customers wanted to give full service to pay um, the wage that we were paying the, the $15 an hour or more um, to everyone. Um, we weren't able to provide full service, wow. Um, wow. which affects tip percentage. So a lot of it has to do, I feel like, with customer perspectives and customer. Um, so a lot of times this is put on, the, on, on restaurant owners in the restaurant industry. Um, but what customers expect and what they expect to pay is pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that needs to be brought into the conversation uh, um, Allison, in terms I, of. Yeah. I'm really glad you called and, and, and shared that. I mean, as, as, as an owner who's, who's struggling with these questions, and, and I, I want to emphasize that, what I hear uh, when, when you're talking is this, this dilemma, this, this kind of push and pull. How do you make sure that people who work for you are taken care of, but how do you also make sure that you have customers and that they're satisfied uh, with their experience and, and that there is there's tension between those two things and you've got to kind of pull on different levers uh, to make to make it work. Uh, I want to get our guests reaction to what you're saying. Danielle, I'll start I'll start with you this time. Yeah. So, again, what I heard Allison say um, was really speaking to the point of who is opposed to increasing the minimum wage and who is struggling with these questions. On one side, you have these mom and pop shops 
who trust their employees, who are trying to find a way, trying to find a solution, who, like Allison, don't um, are not necessarily against this uh, proposal. And then you have the people who are bankrolling anti um, increasing the minimum wage campaigns mm. who are the large, large restaurants that can afford um, and Allison words, Allison's words that mm. is, are backed by data um, <clears throat> who can afford to make these changes, um, who are spending millions of dollars um, on campaigns to disrupt and ultimately uh, kill uh, one fair wage initiatives. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah. Yeah, I really um, appreciate these questions, and uh, I would like to invite Allison and any restaurant owners who are struggling with this to join our High Road Employers Association. We actually have thousands of restaurants who are working right now to ensure that they're taking care of their employees. Uh, We have a calculator um, where we have have helped people in other states figure out uh, their menu prices, um, and also we found that on average, it's about a 25, 25 cent raise um, when people are paid living wages. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, you know, the point that Allison raised about that she makes up the difference if people are making 15, the Department of Labor did a study that 84% of restaurants do not do that. Yeah. Um, there's only 13% compliance with wow. that. Wow. Uh, and so, um, just yeah. enforcing that would make some difference. Well, but you know, the thing is, one way or another, even if I, I really hope and believe that we're going to um, prevail at the Supreme Court, but regardless, we're getting 50, we are likely getting 15 on the 2024 ballot, you know, across the board, 15 across the board, 15 across the board, yeah. one, one fair wage, yeah. $15. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, it's, Bipartisan Republicans and Democrats want this. It is spe- very wealthy special interests who don't who have the money to lobby to like misinform workers and restaurant owners to spread fear um, that the sky will fall. But all you have to do is look at the seven states that already have one fair wage. Their restaurant industries are thriving. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Danielle Atkinson and Sarah Coffey. It was really great to have both of you here uh, to share your experiences and perspectives on this issue. And we look forward to seeing what happens at the Supreme Court. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear the other side of this issue. Justin Winslow, who is the president and CEO of the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association, is going to join us. He's going to give us the restaurant perspective on all of this. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Joan in Southfield, Dan in Gross Point. You'll be up next. Uh, If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here. We'll be right back more Detroit Today. Your neighborhood. Your community. Your voice. Join the conversation on 1019 WBET.
This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. We've been hearing from supporters of increasing the minimum wage and the minimum wage for tip workers, but now we want to understand a little bit of the other side of the argument. To share that perspective, we're joined now by Justin Winslow. He is the president and CEO of the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Justin, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for the time. So let's start with what you believe advocates for raising the minimum wage maybe don't understand about restaurants and restaurant owners and the financial pressures that they face. What what do you feel like they're getting wrong about this issue? Well, I think that the number one point to be made on this specific issue is that it's not what's desired by those that are going to be the most impacted, right? If this is supposed to be helping those tipped employees, the idea is we're, we're creating more fairness through a quote, one fair wage. It's not what the employees of this industry want in spades. It, and it's not even remotely close. We, cause we weren't sure where we stood on this. We wanted to pull and hire a separate firm to, to do some, uh, some polling of, of workers in this industry. So it was separate from us as, uh, an association who advocates on this issue uh, to better understand maybe we're off base, maybe it really is a labor versus management type of an issue. And it it really just, it, it isn't. Uh, 80% of those surveyed, these are restaurant workers, uh, uh, tipped employees across the state of Michigan, uh, prefer the status quo over one with a higher base wage, but an unclear future on what their, what tips mean for them. And so, you know, and we hear this. We, we obviously, you know, that we represent re- restaurant operators, but we hear from servers who work in this industry frequently, mm-hmm. proactively calling our association to understand where this issue is going to be because they don't want to see the change. They're making $27 an hour on average in the state of Michigan right now, and that number keeps going up. They're doing well. They're doing well. Uh, they're doing better than a lot of people in other industries, right? And, and they get pretty flexible hours that, that works for their schedule. It seems to be better for them than the alternative. So, so I want to address that point in particular. We've been talking with folks who are representing people who aren't in that category. I mean, yes, there are restaurant workers who do very well, but there are lots of others who who struggle, struggle to make ends meet in the jobs where they're working. So I guess my question for you is, why does it make sense for there to be a difference? In other words, why treat uh, one class of workers different than another? Uh, why not raise the level for everybody so that we don't have anyone who works full-time at a job or works two or three jobs and actually can't afford to live their lives? Well, I think that's the misnomer, right? That the, the assumption is if you, if you raise that tip credit wage, you're going that tip minimum wage uh, to the full minimum wage, that somehow that's going to increase their wages total by the same amount. What actually will happen is about forty to 60,000 servers are going to lose their jobs uh, because restaurants are going to have to reconfigure how they, their business model uh, exists just to stay in business, right? We all know restaurants are a low-profit industry, and to stay in business, they're going to change to something like a service model or what I, I call the panerification uh, of the industry, where a lot of the full service will transition to more counter-service uh, and, and do so with, with a, a far smaller labor quotient than they have right now. And I think that's part of the, the fear, the concern that servers have of, well, I don't know, maybe I make a little bit more, uh, but the alternative is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my job and I know my ceiling is lower. You know, that, that for every one person who might see a slight increase in their base, 
uh, you're, you're seeing several employees who are making substantially less money. And I think that's why it's, a, it's an idea that's, that makes a lot of sense in concept, but doesn't seem to ever play out very well in practice. And uh, I think that's the concern of those who work in this industry. And, and certainly from the operator standpoint, they're, they're, they're terrified that they don't know how to stay in business, especially those full-service restaurants, uh, if we're going to make this change. So are there ways that the industry could evolve to allow workers to earn a minimum wage besides relying on tips and make enough money to make ends meet? In other words, I mean, what you're saying is that we're stuck where we are. You, if you raise the wage, people will lose their jobs because – Businesses won't be able to afford it. But at the same time, we have people working and working a lot in many cases who can't, who can't make uh, their lives work at the wages where they are. So what, what is the thing, what's the lever we're supposed to pull, I guess, that would change, change that outcome? Right. No, I, I hear you. Uh, I, I don't know from this perspective if, if that change is, is going to get you the policy outcome that you're looking for, right? I, there, there are, there's differentiation um, within the server world. Some make uh, $50, $60 an hour. Some are making six-figure salaries, right? And that is, that is different than someone who's doing a similar serving job but making substantially less. That, that, that inequity certainly exists within the industry, but the alternative in what we see in a few states, and there's only a handful of them that operate with less, or excuse me, would operate without a tip credit at all, those states are actually making less money for those servers cumulatively, right? And that's an important point to make. Higher base wage plus the tips they get are actually equaling less than what we're get, than what servers are making here in Michigan. And that, I don't think that that equates in most people's mind, but people tip a lot less in those states, right? The culture just, whether it's conscious or not, they, they, they tip at a lower percentage than states that do not have, or excuse me, that do operate with a tip credit, you know, the 43 states. And so Michigan servers... The last time I looked at uh, concrete data on this, we're, we're doing better overall in wages than California servers were. And, and that's, you know, that might not compute, Stephen, right at first base, but it really, that's, that's the reality of, of what the tip uh, credit does for people. There, there's generous tippers out there. And frankly, consumers seem to prefer this as well. You know, I mean, and, and nothing's 100%, but, but by and large, consumers like the sense of control that they know that they can tip a percentage increase uh, based on the type of service they get. And that creates, and they, and they feel in control of an outcome, that they're going to get better service, that they're going to have a better experience uh, through that, that uh, empowerment to tip a higher percentage for those who are really delivering something special for them, making that experience special. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Dan in Gross Point. Dan, what's, your, what's on your mind today? Well, I have to disagree with your guest that just spoke of that. Uh, I've run a, a high-end restaurant uh, chain steakhouse in the area, mm-hmm. and our fellow states that have that higher tip minimum wage uh, do not have a lower uh, average of tips as well. I'm all for the increase. The restaurants can adapt and change. People pay more to get great food, great service. Mm. If you're providing that product for them, they're going to be coming to you. You just have to be a smart business operator, watch all your other P's and Q's, and you'll be able to succeed. And then the other comment made about uh, adding 20% on automatically, Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily work because the government changed laws, and they look at that as a wage, and the business owner then is obligated to pay taxes on it. Pay taxes on it, sure. 
And, you know, that just uh, doesn't work, even though some get away with it because they don't uh, claim it. But the larger restaurants, the corporate ones, they can't do that because so, you know, they're looked at so a Dan, little bit more. So, Dan, I, I want to know a little more about why this works for you. Uh, we, we do hear from restaurant owners who say, look, I, I, I can't pay more because I, I wouldn't be able to – to maintain the business in the way that, that it needs to be run. So what, what makes you or your business work differently? What are you doing that allows you to pay more and not have the, the risk of, you know, uh, of business failure? Well, sure, our profit margins have gone down somewhat. But, uh, you know, providing that employee with a living wage, your turnover drops. Uh, your uh, training expenses drop as well when you retain people and you pay them appropriately. After uh, COVID, um, you know, after we got out of the pandemic and things changed, the wage for uh, the back of the house that does all the cooking and everything, that wage went up. And I mean, it's well above. You have to start people above the $15 minimum wage to even get them in your door. If you're not paying them at least $18 an hour, you don't see people coming to work for you. You're short staffed. You're not providing the service and the timeliness the guest expects. And then those restaurants are failing because they're not able to provide what that guest is expecting. So, you know, we've been able to do it by retaining people. We don't have a high turnover rate and we're paying them. Sure, I've had to push back on my you know bigger bosses because they say, oh, you're paying too much. You're paying too much. But then when they look at my restaurant and see mm. that I have low turnover, they're like, well, you're not having to pay so much in training. So yeah. you're saving money in that area. Yeah. So it's uh, all about running your business the right way. Dan, I, I really appreciate you calling and giving that perspective. Justin, we've only got about two minutes left, but I, I really want to hear you answer what Dan's saying about the business side of this. Well, listen, I think he makes a very valid point uh, on turnover in this industry. It's been too high for too long, and, and this industry is waking up to the need to do the kind of elevated training and certification to make this a career-style industry, right? That's something we're dedicated to uh, at the association as well. So I, I hear that point. He's right about service charge as well. It is a taxable income, which actually makes it even harder to transition for the operator to that, to that system where you put a service charge that's a mandatory 20% uh, on as well. But what we have seen in states like uh, Seattle and in Washington where they have this, those service charges aren't working very well either. What you see end up happening is more and more of that money comes away from the server as the, the operator itself tries to keep a little higher percentage of that just to keep their doors open uh, because their operating costs increase. And so there's no perfect solution here. I recognize that. I think that this policy solution is desired by those who work in this industry and will make things work for the industry, worse for the industry uh, overall. So I just, again, I, I know that there's in, in equity within the system. I'm not sure this is the solution that gets us where we want to go. And again, can you tell me what you think would be a solution? We're running out of time, but I would love to hear what you would do to make this work better for workers. Well, I think maintaining a tip credit, well, there, there's, I think there's room for a moderate a discussion on a moderate increase over a scheduled time period on the minimum wage. I think that that is, is a viable discussion that this Michigan legislature can have. I think it would be smart to keep a tip credit like 43 other states do uh, and, and allow this industry to continue to get back on its feet and allow the service working in this industry to continue to make great money. Again, $27 an hour. Uh, but we can discuss some of those specifics. But keeping a tip credit is great for the industry, great for the workers. I think that's a better future for all of us.
Okay, Justin Winslow, President and CEO of the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Really appreciate you coming on to the program. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks, David. That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when Congresswoman Debbie Dingell is going to join us to give her thoughts on gun violence, including how it's affected her and a bill she is introducing that would really change the way that gun makers are held accountable in this country. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.